Who's excited to be here tonight? Come on, you're really excited? It's gonna be a good week. Who's really excited? Can you put your hands up? Super fun, okay. So if you guys have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. So let me tell you the hope that I have for this week together. Is what I, what I hope to do and what we're gonna walk through together is looking at Jesus and meeting him face to face through his word. That we're gonna train our hearts to see him by listening to his word. We're gonna do what, the, what the, the word would be called living apocalyptically. And what the word apocalypse actually means is an unveiling or a revealing. Kind of like the lifting of a curtain or the opening of a box. It means opening something up. And so living in that apocalyptic kind of way, it's not a scary word. It's not a weird word. It's a word that reveals Jesus. And I believe that we are called in this day, in this age, to live apocalyptically. We're to reveal Christ and Christ in us, the hope of glory. We're to reveal the life that he has given us. And so we're going to look at Jesus and meet him face to face and in ways that you might be familiar with some of the stories, you're gonna see how Jesus is reflected in the day-to-day moments and most importantly, you're gonna see Jesus as he has revealed himself to be. Everybody has opinions about Jesus and often our opinions about Jesus cause us to look differently and look away from Jesus when we need to go towards Jesus. When we, we, we have moments and times when we think we need to turn somewhere else. And I believe that meeting Jesus face to face in his word this week is gonna cause you to look at every moment of your life totally different. And so what we need is a foundation of who Jesus Christ is and a good foundation of understanding how great is his love for us. And there's this incredible story in Luke 15 and historians will say and theologians will say that Luke 15 is kind of like the gospel within the gospel. So this is kind of it. This is the moment where Jesus redefines God. He not redefines in the sense that he's making something up, but he reveals God as he is and as the people are meant to understand him. And so we pick it up like this in Luke chapter 15. We're going to read the whole of the text. It says this, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So there's an accusation. The word receives in here means to welcome into fellowship. Tax collectors and sinners, these people were the worst in the worst in that society. People that they did not like at all. And I'm not going to explain how much they hated them. You just need to know they were never invited into the circles of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. They didn't like them at all. In fact, they would cross the street to avoid them. This was super hate. And so this would be hashtag hate, okay? Or hashtag haters, So the accusation goes like this. Jesus, who is a religious leader in this time, he receives, he welcomes in, into fellowship, these sinners. And Jesus' response is this. He says, so he told them this parable. Now, this parable, if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard this at one time. And you've probably heard it broken up. But you need to understand something about this story in Luke 15. Jesus uses three images to reveal the truth about who God is. Three images, and it's all one parable. It's not three parables, it's one parable. And so actually what Jesus does at the beginning you're going to see is he tells the story of the sheep and the story of the lost coin, and he defines two types of lostness. Two types of lostness. There's the lostness out there in the wilderness where the sheep gets lost, and there's lostness in the house. And then he reveals the story of the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal sons, and reveals those sons with two types of lostness. The son that is distant and far out, and the son that is lost in his very home. 
And so Jesus begins to explain this and goes basically, oh, it's way worse than what you're charging me with. My love, my gospel is so much greater than your heart could ever imagine at this moment. Let me tell you a story. And so he does. He told them this parable saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the 99 out in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I will tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I will tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So we're going to pause there for a moment. Let me just pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit right now. Would you enliven and awaken our hearts to your word and to your truth and that we would see you as you have revealed yourself and that we would see how amazing you are. <laughs> In Jesus' name, amen. So get this. You've heard this story before, but there's some super profound things that are taking place here. This idea of the sheep that gets lost, in fact, sheep have never changed in thousands of years. So the same sheep that you see today are very similar to the sheep of Jesus' times. And there's something incredibly funny about sheep. Apparently, sheep are stupid. Like, they are absolutely just really crazy dumb. And so what will happen is if a sheep gets scared and it gets lost, all it does is cries out as loud as it possibly can, bleating like a sheep, bleating away, because it is a sheep. Anyways, and, it will, and it'll, it'll stay put. So it'll hide wherever it is. It'll go into a bush. It'll get caught. And it'll actually go deeper and deeper and deeper into the place where it's trapped. And it will stay there. And so every wild animal will know that's where a poor helpless little sheepy is. That's where I'm getting pork, not pork chops, <laughs> lamb chops. That's where I'm getting dinner tonight. And they're just incredibly dumb that way. So they'll go and they need to be found. They need to be rescued. They will not move from the spot that they're in. And so this is actually a common practice that the shepherd would have to go. And actually for the first like 300 years of Christianity, the picture of the atonement, of the sal salvation of Jesus Christ wasn't a cross right away. It was actually a picture of a shepherd holding the sheep over his shoulders carrying the sheep home because it was such a powerful image of who God has revealed himself to be, the one who goes out to rescue, okay? And this one, you need to pay attention to this story in the sense that the, the sheep is outside of where the shepherd is, lost outside in the wilderness, lost outside where it needs to be found. The second thing I need you to see is Jesus redefines repentance. Okay? He redefines repentance and he actually shows repentance looks like accepting the one who has found you. Repentance looks like being found first. 
It can look like a lot of things. There's a lot of confusion that would take place. I remember growing up in a Christian home, Christian kind of world, and always understanding the way that I was to approach God, however I figured this out, was that I needed to say sorry for every single thing that I have ever done wrong in order for him to just listen to me. So when I would start a prayer, it would always look like, oh shoot, Jesus, I'm so sorry I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I'm really apologized that I did this, and I never should have done that. Please forgive me. I used to have this common prayer. And this common prayer was, Jesus, if you get me out of this one, I'll serve you all my life. Anybody ever prayed that kind of prayer before? Right? Now, the context of that wasn't anything overly traumatic. Usually, it was trying to get out of getting spanked. So, I don't know anybody that, if you guys got spanked, but I, I sure did. And so, we're going to just deal with that right now. And what would happen is, is when I was waiting to be spanked by my dad, especially, I would ask Jesus that he would rescue me from that pain and from that torment and I would just go Jesus if you get me out of this one I am so sorry that I've done this but I'll serve you all my life and only one time apparently he answered that prayer so here I am but uh, I won't tell you the whole of that story yet but let me let me explain this to you Jesus redefines repentance and in a Christian world we tend to think repentance looks like at the beginning it looks like us saying sorry for everything we've done all the time that's not the way Jesus defines repentance because how how is the sheep repenting in the story and more importantly how is a coin repenting is a coin saying sorry for the things the coin had done I'm so sorry I got lost I apologize a little bit weird Jesus says that he seeks and saves the lost and so he says two important things here that I need you to see and you're going to see it more explicitly in a few moments says this there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance then in verse 10 just so I tell you there is more joy before the angels of God than over one sinner over one sinner who repents hear this I've heard it preached many times at different points in my life that when somebody turns to Jesus and receives forgiveness and becomes a Christian, there's a party in heaven, right? Anybody heard that before? There's like a party in heaven, really exciting. Do you notice how Jesus defines what that party looks like? It says that God rejoices before the angels. God rejoices in fact, I've heard one person explain that this word rejoicing can be moved towards spinning wildly like a top. Like absolutely exuberant, joyous, explosive rejoicing over one person that repents. And the repentance does not look like at this point, I'll define repentance later as well because it doesn't mean that we don't say sorry for the things that we've done. It doesn't mean that we don't ask God for forgiveness. But the foundation of what Jesus says about repentance is being ex accepting the one who is already accepting you. Accepting the one. Being accepted, being loved, and receiving that well. And being loved in an explosive fashion. So the second one is the story of the coin. And the story of the coin is lostness inside the house. Inside the house, in the crack, in the, in the area where, the, the, like back in those days, they would have um, kind of like, they would not have floors like this. So there'd be big cracks and you could easily lose coins. And the coin that she lost was probably a day's wage. Uh, it's a big deal for a lady like that to lose a coin. Therefore, a big celebration that she has found it. So you need to pay attention. Jesus is drawing out two things right now as he leads to the third, the third part of the same parable. Okay? And so he moves into this. And now you're going to see what repentance looks like for the first son and then the second says this there was a man who had two sons so this is the beginning part of the story and the younger son said to him said to his father father give me the share of property that is coming to me and he divided his property the word there is he divided his life okay one thing before I continue on here 
What you need to also see is Jesus is not just defining who God is, but who he is in relation to sinners in need of repentance. And so we need to see who Jesus is in this story. And it might come as a bit of a surprise. So the father divided his life. Now, let me, let me do some fun background work here. In the, in the Middle Eastern time, when this was written, and even to this day, there's two things that you need to know about that. Is first of all, in that culture, okay, politeness to your father is more important than obedience. Can you believe that? Now, we don't believe that because Jesus says, uh-uh, that's not true. In fact, he praises the son that says he wasn't going to do it, but does it anyways in a different story. But in that culture and in that time, they actually, politeness and honor or perceived honor was better than obedience. First thing. Second thing, if you were the younger son asking for your inheritance now, it was basically asking for your dad to go die. Say, dad, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of waiting. Just go get on with your life. Move on into death so I can have what's coming to me. And so this was a hostile statement, not a kind, hey dad, can I have my allowance this week? This was a hostile, very painful rejection of his father, not just asking for his inheritance. It was a rejection of his father, his life, and all that his father is. Saying, I don't want you, I just want your stuff. And that rejection was incredibly painful. And in fact, there is written in ancient history the truth that a father has permission to beat his kid silly if he ever asked for a statement like that. That was expected of the father to take the left hand, which is worse than the right hand, and backhand him and beat him with many, the word is, severe blows as he drives him out of his house and out of the town. This was a death wish to the father, but in fact, this was the son risking his own life out of his desire to leave his father. Big deal. Hard for us to understand that, right? A little, little more difficult for us to understand that context, but you need to understand how extravagant the father's love is in this next part as to why, he, why Jesus is showing this story and why he's telling it to people. So everybody in this kind of moment would have been listening to the story and you would have heard people go, oh, right? Everybody go like that. Do your best, not, that's like you're breathing like a sad cow. Like, how about do like a shock, like, it's pretty cute. There we go, well done, okay. Let's bring it back, okay? Divided his property between them. The older son would have got two-thirds, and the younger son would have got one-third. And in fact, even if the father did do this and divided the inheritance early, the father would still have control over what the funds did unless the son liquidated it and turned it into cash. And then that's what the younger son does. So here we go. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all, okay, turned it into cash. That's a better way of understanding that all that he had, and took a journey into a far country. Now, there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now pay attention to this. We don't know what this reckless living looked like. We pick up the later part of the story. I need you to pay attention to this. We, the reckless living could have meant fast living. And in that culture, the best thing that he could do to win favor in another city is buy lots of gifts for lots of different people and make it look like he's a pretty big baller, have the best parties, invite people over. It didn't mean that he was just living a very immoral lifestyle in that time. It meant that he just spent all that his family had inherited. He spent it very carelessly and quickly and pushed it in a way that he would elevate himself into fame. Okay? So it says this in Reckless Living, verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one, out to one of the citizens in that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So, one more important point about that is we know that Jewish people did not raise pigs. 
They don't eat pigs, and they don't like pigs. So we know that this was a Gentile person that this Jewish boy was living in, uh, was, was serving in. And so guess what? This story gets even better as to the greatness of the pain he has caused his father and of the greatness of the pain he has inflicted on himself, the son, if he ever chooses to return home. Okay? So there's a scholar named Kenneth Bailey, and he explained, and never have I heard about this before, but in recent study, this just kind of blew my mind. He said this, that there's a ceremony in the Hebrew time called a kazaza ceremony. And what this ceremony is, is that if a young man married an immoral woman or a son who loses his inheritance to the Gentiles has a gross ceremony waiting for him. And this is the ceremony that, that was waiting for him. Is they would take an earthen pot filled with burned nuts and burned corn and break it in front of him and declare this son is cut off from his people and after that, Nobody will have anything to do with him. So this is what this son is waiting. If he returns home, this son has a crazy ceremony and the townspeople are going to take care of this kid before his father ever sees him. Crazy. They're going to reject him. And some scholars would say they were going to beat on him because of the shame brought to the family and therefore the shame brought to the village. This kid is in huge, huge trouble. That's why when the famine comes, he doesn't return home, skipping home going, hey, I lost all my money. Can I come over? He is in huge trouble. And apparently he lost all his money to the Gentiles, he's done like dinner, okay? So if I was writing this story, it'd be hashtag done like dinner. Good with that? We're building it out. So let me pick this back up. Here we go. And he was longing, okay? This is desire, the same word about, you know, there's lots in there, but anyways, desire. It's like a deep, deep desire with desire, he was longing to be fed, whoop, here we go, to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Now he actually couldn't eat the stuff that the pigs were there like eating because you can't actually digest what those pigs would call food. And it was, he's in great agony and great pain. So he is starving, he's in pain and he was longing to be fed by that but nobody gave him anything. His plan of all this fame and this lifestyle of a wonderful life that he thought he could achieve himself, completely gone. And then the Bible says this, but when he came to himself, okay? When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have had more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? Okay? Hear this real quick. This came to himself does not mean repentance, okay? Came to himself, a better way of understanding it in our language would be he got smart. He realized he went one plus one equals two. People have food back there. I have nothing here. I need to go fix the situation I'm in and fix it the only way that I can. He's going to try to pay his father back and try to avoid that kazaza ceremony and that rejection from the community. He's going to try to ask and plead to his father for mercy that he would just become a hired servant so that he could understand, he could actually work off this incredible debt. But the son is missing the point, just like everybody else seems to miss the point of God. It's not about the money. It's not about what was lost. It's about the rejected love that he has walked away from with his father. And you're going to see that in a few moments here. So he says, I will rise to go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Apparently, this is a an actual quotation, the same words that Pharaoh used to Moses saying, I've sinned against heaven. 
This is actually a quotation from the Old Testament in this. I've sinned against heaven and before you. This again is not repentance at this point. Okay, he's saying the same thing. This would be a more of like a manipulative phrase to get his father to listen to him, just like it was a manipulative phrase for Pharaoh, sort of jump stories on you, but for Pharaoh to say that to Moses, to get Moses to do what Pharaoh wanted him to do, namely stop all the painful plagues. If you remember that story. And says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So the son prepared this speech. And when he arose, he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Literally cut into pieces. Felt like a cut to pieces, just like an absolute desire for his son. And said, and his father ran to him when he was still a long way off and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand and his shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate for this my son was dead, is now alive. He was lost and he is now found and they began to celebrate. So remember the story of the sheep. And the story of the sheep of being outside in the wilderness far away. The father sees the son. The father knew the son was going to fail. And the father was not just looking longing for his son. He was looking in order to save his son. Because even outside the city at that point, the son was still lost. Do you see where this has got confused when you've heard this story before? Because it seems like the son kind of wakes up and goes, okay, I figured out that I've made all these mistakes, so I'm going to clean up my life, and I'm going to tell God, I'm going to tell my father, rather, that all these things that I've done and why I've been bad, and maybe he will accept me. And we tend to embrace that, and we miss the extravagant love of what God has done. Because the Father here represents Jesus, because in this moment, the Father leaves his house, leaves the place of his dwelling, and goes out to his son, comes down to his son, and meets him in the place where he is lost, and he finds him. The father finds the son. It was not the son that woke up and said, I need the father. The father finds the son and he goes and he embraces him and he runs to him. This matters because this is something done for the son, not something the son did. And his participation is to accept it and be in that place. And we get it all wrong when we think we fix our situation and we take care of it and we miss the extravagant love of God where he is coming towards us. This son was dead in his steps. He was not allowed ever to see his father. There was nothing this son could do. In fact, even this son's request probably never would have been granted. It was just an idea. It was something he thought he could do. And so the son is lost outside the father's house. And the father representing Jesus Christ with extravagant, unexpected, overwhelming love leaves his beautiful dwelling and runs to his son. And that's what we call the incarnation. And the father empties himself. Do you see what the father does? This is his extravagant love. And just to give you a heads up, if you catch a glimpse of this, you will run to Jesus and stop running from him in every area of your life. Watch this. The f- 
a lot of, lot of like Western commentaries will say that, uh, that apparently that the son was interrupted by the father's speech. But actually, apparently Eastern commentaries for thousands of years would maintain that the, fa- the son changed his mind. That the son realized this whole speech that I had planned out, not going to work anymore because of the father's overwhelming love. Okay? So hear this. He arose and he came to his father. And his father, while he was a long way off. Now hear the love of God in Christ. Is that the father does something in this day that was reserved, was actually humiliating. So Philippians 2 says that Christ emptied himself taking the form of a servant. God, in this picture through Jesus Christ, shows that the Father in this story, depicting Christ, empties himself and humbles himself and takes on the form of a love displayed like a mother. Running in that day was never done by anybody over the age of 25. You would never run because you wore these long things and these long robes and you would have to bare your legs to the public in order to hike up your proverbial skirt and run. And so therefore, apparently, that was very shameful back in that day. And the only people that would do that are young people or mothers. And so the creator of the universe is showing the compassionate, redemptive love, the love like a mother in this moment. The father is not acting like a father. In that day, the son should be brought to the father. And in this day, Jesus shows, oh, the love, it's way worse than you thought, Pharisees. It's way worse than you thought, religious leaders of the day. I don't just welcome sinners. I'm going to run to them. I'm going to move towards them in compassionate, unexpected, extravagant love that what they have done is not going to stop me. And so the father humiliates himself before everybody in the town. And so before the townspeople can get their hands on this son who has so embarrassed his father and so embarrassed his family and so embarrassed that area, the father runs and rescues him, runs towards him in this incredible love because of the compassion that he felt. And you almost hear the words of Hebrews 12 saying, for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the shame and the suffering of the cross. For the joy set before him, the father shows himself and runs towards his son and kisses him with kisses. Kisses him with kisses. And then the father empties himself and begins to reconcile the son into every place that he had brought shame. First of all, the father takes his robe and he takes his costly robe, the father's robe, which you were recognized in that day by the robes that you wore. Clothing made statements and the father would have had a particular style of clothing. In fact, if you know, if, if I could just jump in the Bible a minute, uh, it's, it, that, the story of uh, uh, Esther, when Haman, is, um, when Haman is giving advice to the king about how to honor Mordecai, he doesn't know it's Mordecai, he says, clothe this guy that you want to honor with the king's robe. And let him ride on the king's horse and just get the guy to be walked around saying, this is someone that the king delights to honor. And apparently, that was a big deal. I'd be like, no, you can give me a million dollars. That would be a little bit better than a little pony ride with a fun little dress. (laughs) But apparently, that was a big deal because forever, he would be completely different in the eyes of everybody. And so the, son, the father takes off his garment and clothes his son and reconciles him firstly as a son and, and, and reconciles him to the servant. So here we go. I'm going to read this again. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly 
bring quickly the best robes and put it on him. So the father, father says, bring these best robes, the robes that are my robes, and actually gets the servant. So he reconciles his son to the servants. So now the servants know that he actually has to be honored by the servants. So the father actually just dismantled the whole idea that he's not a son. He develops sonship in this and he reconciles him to his servants. And then he says this, put a ring on his hands, which actually, the, the ring was a symbol of authority. It was kind of like, this was back in that day, it would be kind of like your credit card, your social insurance number, your, uh, all your ID, your driver's license, when you finally get to have one, when you're 22 or something like that, it takes forever nowadays. And the idea that you would be able to have this ring that would allow you to transact business. You were in a place of authority. All of a sudden, this son would have authority and honor and, and put shoes on his feet. And the shoes on his feet is that servants were barefoot. Sons wore shoes. Sons wore shoes. And so before he even brings him into his house, the son is rightfully brought as a son. And then the father reconciles him to everybody that was watching so that that ceremony, that crazy ceremony, wouldn't take place because he says, no, this is my son who was lost and now is found. Actually, what the Bible's speaking there is the shalom of God, that he is reconciled to his son. And the son still has done no formal repentance. Do you see what I'm saying there? He received his acceptance. And God moves towards him in this story. The father moves towards him in this story with reconciliation and then he has a party. This isn't the party just for the son. This is the party for the joy of the father. The one who is throwing this party because his joy is full and like the, the shepherd and like the lady with the coin, there is a big party happening because there has been reconciliation that has taken place. And so now we're going to see the second lost son. We're going to move through this really quickly. The son that was lost in the father's home. In the father's home. And says this. Now the older son was in the field. And he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants. Actually the, the word is servant is like a young boy. The boys that are out there in the area. Calls one of the servants. Calls one of the young boys and says, and asks, what are these things? What do they mean? What's the, what are these sounds that I'm hearing? And he said to him, your brother has come. Your brother has showed up, basically. Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And the word in the Greek was actually, there's a shalom in there of reconciliation, of complete, not just healthy, but actual reconciliation. And, but, and then it says, but he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look these many years as I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, the so when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes and killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is now found. Do you know that what the second son did, the son that was lost in his own home, was worse than what the first son did? Do you remember how I said at the beginning that in that culture, to give honor, to give, be polite to your father especially, was greater than obedience? The humiliation that this older son brought to his father in the Middle Eastern culture would actually be worse than what the younger son did. It was a worse 
offense. And the father should have either ignored this son or beaten him. And the father humiliates himself in front of all of his guests, in front of everyone else again, and empties himself in this way and goes to his son and pleads with his son. Again, something that would cause everybody that was listening to go, seriously, why would this father do that? That's ridiculous. And Jesus is saying this to respond to the original accusation this man welcomes receives into fellowship sinners. Receives into fellowship those that are not good. Those that are not lovely. And this crazy thing took place is that this son was angry because the decision is final and he has no say. The father is already reconciled to him and he already heard that the father was reconciled to him. So the son has to accept what the father's done. But the son rejects his father and humiliates his father. And Jesus doesn't finish the story. We don't know what happened with that son. We don't know what happened with that son. For the father pleads to this son and looks to him and says, come, come with me. All that I have is yours. All that I am is yours. Here, come, enjoy, celebrate with me that I am reconciling to myself my son. And this son rejects his father's love. And this son represents the scribes and the Pharisees in that moment of those rejecting the love of God and misunderstanding how extravagant and glorious and amazing the love is that God has on the table for them. So David, you want to come on up here? Here's what I want you to pay attention. Can we get that little picture up on the screen? In Aramaic, uh, the language that some of the New Testament was actually written in, and language that Jesus spoke, this is the picture of the language written out, Oh my Father, I have sinned. Do you see the cross? So, Oh my Father is the line in the middle, and I have sinned is a cross. What I want to show you in that for this moment, and we'll just leave that up on the screen, is that in this story, the cross is on display for anybody that would see it written. They would actually know that those two words go together, and they would understand the prefiguring of the cross in that moment. Just something crazy, something that might be a little geeky, something that you're like, what's the big deal? That's so crazy to me that God put in a language inspired something that they would have no idea that this is, would, this is how it would be depicted is in the form or shape of a cross. Because that's the love that is on the table for the sons. And this sonship that is on the line. And what I need you to understand tonight before we move into more of the things that God has for you this week is a new understanding of repentance. A new understanding of repentance. A new understanding of your identity in Christ. And your identity doesn't come with self-discovery or self-reflection, but rather with seeing the extravagant love of the cross, the extravagant love of the Father in Jesus Christ. See, because I think there's many people in this room even today that are still trying to figure out how they can do this life, but you're leaving Jesus out of the equation. Jesus shows that there's two types of lostness. There's the definite lostness. I just want to tell you one more thing. There's two types of lostness. There's the lostness like I would almost go as far as to say there's the lostness of those that are out there that you know that they're lost. They're doing life apart from Jesus. 
But then Jesus shows that there's a lostness within the house. That you can be lost in church. You can be lost even doing the right things. That you can be lost looking like you're doing the right things because you're out of relationship with the Father. You're out of relationship with Jesus. You're not doing it. You're not doing it because you love Jesus. You're doing it because maybe you'll be accepted or maybe you'll be liked or maybe things will go well with you. I can't begin to tell you the kind of confusion that can take place early on in life. But I can remember, I can remember moments and still remember moments in my heart when you lose sight of who Jesus Christ is. When you lose sight of his extravagant movement towards you. When you lose sight of the fact that you don't have to clean yourself up before he accepts you. We tend to do crazy things. And we tend to project on God our own understanding. And what I want to call you to tonight is a foundation, is a new form of repentance. And that new form of repentance is acceptance first. Acceptance first. You stand in the place of acceptance of the God who has demonstrated his love for you on the cross and has said, there is nothing standing in the way of my relationship to you. I am not going to let that get in the way. That he took and he set aside everything that was against you, all the legal demands that was against you, the record of debt that you have, and he nailed it to the cross. He took it, he parted it, as if to say parting the Red Sea. He parted it and he moves towards you in love. And this might be a little confusing to you because you might not feel lost. You might not feel a sensation of lost. You know, interestingly enough, neither do sheep. Do you know sheep don't feel lost? They actually, apparently, shepherds would say they feel pretty, like just, I don't know what to do, I'm just gonna stay right here. I'll get comfortable. Do you know coins don't feel lost? Love finding money. Don't you love like finding money in pockets? that you didn't know were there, you like reach in, you're like, monies. Maybe you don't have monies, so you can't find monies. You're like, I'm too poor to find monies. Do you know coins don't feel lost? Do you know both these sons didn't feel lost? They didn't know how lost they were. The father takes the second son, and the words in the Bible speak of he brings the son alongside of him, alongside of him, to so that the son could see, the older son could see from his father's perspective. And that son rejected his father's perspective. And I believe Jesus is calling you to see tonight from his perspective, to see tonight that it doesn't matter where you have been and what you have gotten involved in and the things that you feel in your heart right now that you feel so distant, frustrated, and far from God. Those things do not matter as much as God's love for you matters. And this love is not casual. It's not something that Christian preachers just want to talk about. This is all we have and it's the greatest news in the world because it sets us apart from any other religion or ideology because we are the ones that have this understanding of this extravagant God. A God we couldn't make this stuff up. It's too crazy. It's too crazy. And because we get familiar with the story or familiar with our situation, we don't realize how lost we can be and how far from the priorities that God calls priorities. You might not be extremely lost in the sense that you go, well, I know Jesus. I've given my life to him. 
but you might be lost in the way that you are turning to other things instead of to him. You are not receiving the love that he has for you because you, like the younger son, are going, yeah, but look what I've done. And you're wanting to continue on with this speech of why God can't love you, of why he doesn't know what's going on in your heart. And so we often find ourselves afraid to go, what would happen if I actually loved him? What would actually happen if I accepted my acceptance? You might tonight have never heard the gospel before and the story of God's love. You might be here and you've never, you've never heard it or heard it in your heart and you've never responded to it. And the gospel is not just for those that have not heard, it's for those that have not heard, but it's for the Christians that have heard it because the gospel needs to continue to get deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts. We need to understand this extravagant grace, this extravagant love of God. And this story shows it in picture form of the God who is running towards you tonight. He's not waiting for you to get out of your seat. And if you've never heard that Jesus is reconciling you to himself, that he's not counting your sins against you, and he's declaring this is the year, this is the time of his favor where he's going to pour out his love on you in ways that you could never think or imagine. He's going to adopt you as a son, as a daughter. He's going to adopt you into his family for he has accepted you already and you have to respond to his acceptance. And that's what Jesus says is a repentance. A turning in. A turning towards. As Christians, we get the joy of repentance. As Christians, you get the joy of being reconciled to your Father again. And as we confess our sins to Him, it's almost like we're replaying that acceptance over and over and over again. Do you hear that? Repentance is a movement towards, but it's first a movement of acceptance. Understanding the one that is accepting you. And so tonight, if you've never received Jesus and his acceptance for you, tonight is a great night. Because you can receive what was done for you and respond to that. And like that prodigal son, be welcomed into the extravagant love of the Father. And this week is going to blow your mind at the level of sonship that you will walk into. It's time to come home. It's time to come in. And you can respond to that love tonight by accepting his incredible love for you. And so if you want to do that, one of the most special ways that we have available to us is we're going to invite you to come to the front. And if you're wanting to receive Jesus for the very first time in that way, in particular, I'd love to pray with you tonight. If you want to do that, I just want you to come up to the front and you can just like cross your arms in front of you just to show me that that's what you want to be prayed for. But the second call that I want to give you tonight, the foundation that I want to give you in response, and we're not going to do this long. It's going to be almost momentary. But in our response of acceptance, I want everything that you hear this week, what you're going to hear from Josh tomorrow morning, Everything that you hear this week is one of acceptance because the greatest need I felt for you this week was to understand how accepted and loved that you are because even now, your own rejection of God's love is causing you to miss some of the words that I'm saying tonight. You're going, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. 
Because our hearts are filled with the cares and the things of this world. We're more into Instagram and Facebook and the life out there and the, everything that we can see and touch and the TV shows and the life that is available to us with our friends. We're filled with that and we go, ah, life, I'm getting okay. I'm getting along okay without the accepting love of the Father. And I want to encourage you tonight to look towards what he has for you in acceptance. And so the second call for you tonight is maybe you're like that first, this, the firstborn son, second son in the story. That's actually lost in the house where you're not even realizing that. And so tonight your response would look like going, Jesus, would you show me? Would you show me? Am I lost? In this way? Am I losing connection with you? Am I rejecting your love? And then the third one is this. There's some of you I know that you know. That's why you're here. You know you're lost. In the sense that you've been running from both the call that God has on your life. You've been running from it in frustration. There's two people in particular tonight. And I don't want to call you out for sake of embarrassment. But you know you're rejecting God's love. Your plan is just to float through this week, hoping God will single you out. And tonight, he's going to do more than just single you out. He's going to run towards you in incredible love. That in fact, you don't even have to get up from your seat. You can sit there and go, here I am. And watch what he's going to do. He's going to move towards you this week in ways that are crazy. In ways that are crazy. And by crazy, I mean in ways that you've always dreamed. Because you felt that you were going through this life just overlooked. And you're not overlooked this week. And so you've been acting out in a form of lostness. And so tonight's time to come home. Time to be found. And so being found looks different for all different types of people. But the one connection is responding to Jesus. So we're going to do that tonight. So would you stand with me? And as David leads us into a song, I want to welcome you to come, come to the front tonight. Because coming to the front might be like a picture for you of, of that idea of coming home. Whereas you start walking to the front, the image is that the picture of Christ coming forward towards you in extravagant, unexpected love. The key in this story for me is that it was unexpected. And so do not expect this week that God's going to look the way he's going to show his love to you is going to look like you expected. It might look totally different than you expected. You might be like, all right, well, I know the drill. Here we go. I'm going to come up to the front and I'm going to pray. and Maybe I'm going to get a little emotional. I think God's going to do something different with you this week. But that still calls, calls us towards response. Calls us towards response. So what I want to do is I want to invite you to come to the front after I pray. And if you want to receive Jesus for the very first time tonight, I want to pray with you specifically. But we're going to have cabin leaders and, and uh, other pastors that are here just going to come and, and they're going to pray for those that are up front. But you don't have to come to the front to be found by Jesus tonight. But I encourage you that that might be the very best way for you to receive that kind of prayer and that love. Make sense? All good? So what, just to lay this out, we're going we're gonna to respond in a song tonight. And we're not going to go overly long in this. It's going to be a momentary response. It's more of a stance. And the stance of what I wanted, what I felt like I saw before, was for us to just kind of have our hands out in whatever fashion we want, an acceptance kind. You might want to have your hands way up here. You might want to have your hands way down here. Way out this way. Whatever you think is accepting 
looking. And I just want you to connect with Jesus for a moment of acceptance, knowing that his love for you is absolutely amazing. So let's do it tonight. Let's, I'm gonna pray for you as we receive his acceptance. So you can put your arms out in whatever way you want. Let's hear his great love today. Father, I pray that tonight that you would cause your love to be seen, experienced, and encountered. Jesus, I pray tonight that you would accept us in a crazy way, that you would call us towards yourself. And may we accept tonight being ex accepted. Would we accept tonight your love? And would you come to us in unique and unexpected ways? Would you meet us on the fields this week? Would you meet us in our cabins this week? Would you meet us in the shower this week? Would you meet us when we're going to the river? Would you meet us in the kitchen? Would you meet us as we will walk along the road? Meet us as we're playing night games encounter us. Father, I pray that you would find us tonight and that we would be found in you. That you would call us to yourself. For you alone are worthy and you alone are lovely. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.